Hi, I'm Anna Burt, and I'm Sue's daughter. Hi, I'm Emily Benito. I'm Trudy's daughter. Though our mums are both dead, the fact doesn't change. We're both adapting to living our lives without our mums, and know we are very much not the only ones. We have joined forces to create a podcast in the hope that we can provide what we feel we needed and still need in our grief. The mothership, the mother load. There's no getting around that mother means something big. There are so many different kinds of mother, biological, step, figure, and so many different kinds of grief when they're gone. We're here to do what we can in podcast form, welcoming guests so we can explore our experiences together, where they converge and where they vary, and, hopefully, understand a little more about the nuance and scope of The The Mother mother of All Losses. on zoom that says recording in progress like always really startles me yeah she sounds so robotic you'd think that we'd be able to make it sound a little bit more human these days yeah seeing as we can make like robots like have feelings (laughs) (laughs) why can't we make that sound better um anyway um happy tuesday emily and happy birthday for the benefit of the listener we are recording this the day after emily's 21st birthday um and she's glowing and glorious as ever so happy birthday um let's talk about birthdays how are you how is your grief and how is your birthday with your grief thank you angel for all mainly for yeah 21 it's a really big age isn't it (laughs) um no I've just turned 32 which is absolutely fine I actually find chat about people getting older and and not liking it really aggravating now because I'm like do you not realize what a privilege it is to get older yeah it really is um and my birthday is definitely a real pain point for my grief. And I had a little blurt about it in the morning, but I think today it really came in and I didn't expect it to. I think essentially being born at a very depressing time, I think I get my new year sort of come down, apologies for the drugs adjacent language as a sober person, but, (laughs) and I think, oh shit, is how I feel on the 11th of January, how everyone else feels on the 1st of January. Because I've at least got my birthday really nearby to then kind of look forward to. And I still do, because my birthday isn't just... um, It's difficult because you can't really be born without someone to give birth to you. And it really sucks in my instance that I really miss the person who gave birth to me. So there's a nice you know expectation and that people really make an effort to make you happy on your birthday but and I really did I had a really lovely day David went out of his way to make it nice for me it's still a pandemic it's winter so I'm getting quite used to celebrating alone and I used to have like a really big party and I'm glad that at no point I wanted to drink or felt like it was lacking hey that's amazing Thank you. So that was nice. Um, I may have felt differently if I was in a situation where I was with a lot of people and they were like, we want to celebrate your birthday by drinking. And I'm like, great, go ahead. But that's absolutely not what I can do. Um, but yeah, 
birthday and grief is really intermingled and I really felt it today and you know what the really shitty thing about it is Anna is that there are so many people being so lovely and really wanting to celebrate my birthday and celebrate me but sometimes I find it really hard to override that inner child who's literally like but my mum's not at my birthday party and finding fault in everyone else because they're not my mum which is so desperately unfair but also just the feelings so maybe maybe I'll work on that for 33. I think so much about grief is is so infantilizing in many ways but also the opposite in many ways and I'm sure Freud would kind of love it but there's that kind of the, the, the thing that just goes around my head, one of my mantras is just, I want my mum, which is something that you say when you're a kid, when you're a baby, when you're going through something hard, things like birthdays as well. Absolutely. It's so natural and normal. And because, you know, in, in many people's cases, mums are the ones that make birthdays happen. I mean, literally, but also, you know, they're the ones that are going to fuss over you and make an effort. And from what I know, have the pleasure of knowing about Trudes, I bet she was a fucking great birthday mum. Oh, spectacular. <laughs> uh, I mean, the fact that she really didn't want that many kids in her house. <laughs> yet she did all the time. But you're so right. And my wonderful therapist, a different Dr. Sue, um, said to me the other day that grief is boundless. And I think it's, and, and it was as if I heard it for the first time, that statement, because I'm really understanding how important it is to set my own boundaries and how boundaries are protections from resentment and being like but the thing about grief is that because it's boundless is that it necessarily tests those boundaries all the fucking time and that paradox you said of simultaneously being incredibly infantilizing but also like aging all at once is this kind of like Benjamin Button mishmash I'm not feeling particularly eloquent I'm still kind of I think I'm still coming down from like a really big angsty grief moment this morning which is fine because it passed but it still knocks me sideways because of course it does my mum's dead and I actually had to say to myself pretty much out loud I'm sorry for anyone who heard me like possibly in the in the battlefield area of Glasgow earlier today um but I said like three years isn't a long time like this is just this is my third birthday without my mum and if I live long enough they'll get to a point where I have more birthdays without her than with her but at the moment that equation is very much unbalanced um so yeah just and in terms of like practical grief stuff I was like oh I've totally forgotten how to kind of guide myself through a grief day because it hasn't been this bad in a really long time you know what the absolute bare minimum the bare minimum but I didn't cancel anything which I'm also gonna celebrate myself for because normally I would just like sweep board entirely but what's really nice is being like look you have stuff to do to give you structure to your day and to prove yourself that you can do it but you don't have to be quite, quite as like. You can be grieving and functioning. And you can also be grieving and not functioning. And you can also be functioning 
and not grieving. I think I want that on a t-shirt, all of it, even if it has to go around the back. Anna, please tell me how you and your grief are today. I'm much better than the last time we recorded. I just I think I was still just feeling really low from being really ill and really useless, but I've had a really good productive week. I, funnily enough, haven't been drinking. Um, and actually, uh, not because I'm a copycat, um, but also because I do take big, big fat periods out from it. And oh my gosh, I didn't realise how much I needed it until I did it. I was like, oh, I have so much. Because the things I get stressed about are things I don't have enough time to do. But you literally add like a quarter of time to your life when you don't drink. I mean, because even, you know, it's not like you're getting sozzled, but you, you're not working or doing anything while you're drinking or and you feel fuzzy headed and stuff like that. But I feel clear. I'm kind of organised and I'm on it. And that's not to say I'll never drink again because I've got, I will. But it's just really good for me in this really wobbly period of the year because it's horrible um, to actually just take that time and have a bit of a reset. And it's been really good for me. So um, I feel good. Um, and I thought I'd tell you today about my mug, um, which I have here and I'm going to show you. I'll post a picture of it on our, um, on our Instagram <laughs> and Twitter, um, which you can find at T-M-O-A-L pod. And it says, however hard you try, you end up like your mother. And it's um, it's one of those cafe cards, you know, the kind of like jokey ones with the, with the old school picture and the writing on it. And it's so funny because I think this this mug is meant to say, however hard you try not to, you end up like your mother, because we all eventually end up like our mums to some extent. But actually, it says, and this this could just be my, my close reading of this mug, this is however hard you try, you end up like your mother. And actually, it's so often something that's really... Um, like a negative thing in our culture and society, like, oh, I'm turning into my mother. And I genuinely am in quite a lot of ways. Like, I tut at people. I get annoyed at the same things. I, like, when people push their buggies in front of the road, I'm like, oh, you're just going to kill your child? Like, I get, you know, really, you know, people don't hold their dogs on leads properly. Like, I, there are lots of things. You know, people don't move out the way, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, like, there's a kind of pleasure, and I guess this goes along a bit with what you were saying, and there's that, a kind of pleasure and a, a privilege in even growing old enough to the point where you can end up like anyone that's that's raised you. And today we're talking about stepmoms, actually, which I'm really excited to talk about having, um, you know, actually, I don't think we've we've spoken about stepmom on the show, but I just think like, you know, and and if you it's also kind of fine if that's something you really want to rebel against. I've been thinking about my grandma and I remember my mum once saying when my grandma was at her, one of her worst times saying, if I end up, ever end up like my mother, can you kill me? Like there are so many interesting kind of nuances to it, but it just made me think. So I thought I'd do show and tell today um, about my mum and thinking about, I've got a nice picture of my mum just above my desk where I'm sitting now. And in many ways I can kind of see so much of her in me as I get older and calmer and have the time to kind of sit back because because it has you know the next year will be nine years and after that that will be 10 years you know that's it's such a long time that it's almost I kind of can't remember the person I was before I was bereaved with this loss so it's interesting to kind of when you have and it might come you know some people might already be there might they might never get there or I think it's something that's slowly been coming to me is is much more of a sense of a kind of karma acceptance and thinking yeah maybe I am ending up a bit like you maybe I'm not it's all kind of okay and I think that 
um, you know, that's definitely something that I would have loved to hear like earlier on in the grief, because I mean, three years on, I was, I, I hated everything, my birthday, her birthday, everything. But now I love my birthday again. Do you know what I mean? And that's, that's kind of nice, but it's okay if you always hate your birthday, all of that. Anyway, I'm really excited about today's guest, who is a friend of mine, um, a gorgeous woman, um, Beth. Welcome to the mother of all losses. How is your grief today? Um, hello, both. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you. Um, my grief is, I think, I think it's like the saddest I've been in a long time. Um, but just because I've just spent like the last eighteen months pretending like it's not happening, um, which has just been my way of dealing with it. Um, so the last few days I've been really putting some time thinking about it and I think like I need to do it it's something I need to do and um the way I've dealt with it maybe it's, it's just the way I've dealt with it like you're just saying now and I think everything's okay it's just individual isn't it um so I've, I've struggled to talk to people who especially haven't been lost their parents or their mum um like part of it's not wanting to burden people um but also part of that's not completely altruistic, part of it's I just don't want to feel sad. <laughs> um, so yeah, today I think it's like, I feel like this build up of just pain and sort of like, um, yeah, just like I'm about to cry and happiness and sadness and good memories and like this sort of thing, what you just said there, and I'm like, I just want my mum. <laughs> I kind of like, just want to text her. Uh, but yeah, that's how I'm feeling today. Well, I mean, I'd like to say you're in the right place and in a safe place. And um, we'd love to know about your stepmom. So please introduce her to us. Um, so her name was Ursula. Um, my dad and my two brothers, well, we called her Earth, just for short. So that's how I'll call her. Um, she, yeah, she was just this most incredible person. I mean, like, probably like a lot of people do think that, but, um, but she just, um, she was just like incredibly strong all the time um she uh, she came into my life when I was really young because I was two um and she just was this kind of like calming um being um and we're often like confused as mother and daughter um I wouldn't say, maybe confused is the wrong word because is there a specific relationship of mother and daughter like it can be mother figure anything um yeah and she just she just always just did everything to the full um she was very like not she was very like straight which I wasn't used to so she you know she'd tell tell you like call you out on things um but in like this really safe way that you always felt comfortable um and yeah she's just a very incredible person she's German yes <laughs> yes that's <laughs> <laughs> Even if I didn't know that, I would have instantly known that because of that yeah. safe calling you out way. Yeah. It's so familiar to me. Yeah. So she was in your life since you were two years old. So did you always count yourself as having kind of two mums in a way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I think because I was so young, um, you can't, yeah, you're just someone you grow up with around and with like things like we, she was learning English while I was learning to speak. And um, so there's all stories that like my dad would tell me that funny ways we'd say things and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, so she's been in, she was really there for like from the beginning, really. So 
we know that Ursula was a wonderful stepmom, um, but I would love to hear a story about Ursula, um, something that um, springs to mind maybe from when you were younger or maybe, you know, as a teenager, even a bit older, you know, how, what are the moments that really shaped her and your relationship and what are the really distinctive memories that you have of her? Uh, always cooking together um, and since when my brother and I sort of first got to know her we kind of tried the uh, step-parent thing out of like we only eat chicken nuggets um, that's all we eat it, it lasted for about a week until she, until she was like no you don't eat chicken nuggets you eat other things as well and just like made us cook and stay in the kitchen with her and her approach that was like getting us involved so rather than being like scolding or telling off or angry she'd just be like get in the kitchen and cook with me and you're eating everything else um but so she made like I don't know things like cucumbers she made us do it in stripes so it's like football shirts and stuff so everything was like more fun um and she's also just incredible cook so whatever she made was just really tasty so you kind of couldn't not eat it um and also, yeah, she just wasn't having any shit. So, like, when we're sitting at the table, she's just like, no, just eat what's there. And, yeah, don't try it, basically. Um, and it quite, that kind of went through her whole life, like, right until the end. She was, it's kind of like this thing she was just, I don't know, it's, like, so strong. Like, she was, when she was diagnosed, we didn't find out right until the end that she was given four months to live at the time of diagnosis. Um, but she ended up... Um, she ended up living another three years um and right until the end like she went through all the sort of treatment and everything and she was lucky enough to go through kind of um new treatment that they were kind of testing um but yeah right until the end she was like when she had about a month left she didn't tell us but I don't it wasn't um it wasn't like for not wanting to tell the kids it was more like I'm not I'm not ready yet this isn't over until it's over um and that's kind of how I remember her and even the last time I saw her I went into the hospital room uh, it was like the day before she died actually it was the second to last time I saw her and um she just turned around and gave me the, the biggest smile and I think that's like what she wanted me to remember her by um and yeah it's just, I, she, I knew she's kind of the thing that she knew what she was doing if that makes sense oh totally she sounds like an absolute force of nature and I love the image of her always involving you mm. in particular and it sounds to me like she was really giving you like your own life skills because I think cooking is something that just falls by the wayside and to help you grow that esteem in yourself to look after yourself and yeah I love the image of her smiling at you in the hospital because I'm sure she was absolutely delighted to see you. I know Beth that um I'd love to talk a bit about this, if you don't mind, because it's something we've spoken about before, um, about um, kind of how how it's been between you and your dad since uh, Tula died, because I think that that's such an, it's such an interesting dynamic um, that I don't really feel like is explored enough because everything it's kind of, I always describe it a bit like um, when someone so kind of important in our lives dies, it's it feels like a bomb's gone off and everything's just kind of, um, shrapnel that needs to somehow kind of be found and brought back together so what was it like with your dad 
like obviously he was so just to start they were totally in love and they always were right until the end and I think it was the most beautiful thing um we were all there when she died and my dad were all comforting her but my dad there he just stayed so strong as well and he just was holding her hand the whole time um and after that you know the next day I think he just had a he gets migraines anyway but he just had a you know absolutely understandable he had two days in bed which totally fine you know <laughs> any any time um but he after that we kind of um this was all in Germany at the time because she was getting treatment and working in Germany so after the funeral and after all that we moved we all just came back to England um my dad was had been living in Germany he lives now not not far from me so um we just we see each other a lot and he's very close we're lucky enough to be really close um one of my brothers also lives in Brighton so we're really lucky to have this kind of close family like unit I guess that all get on um but yeah kind of my dad comes he comes around a lot um and I, I feel very happy with the fact that we kind of he can just turn up and be in my life um but also uh I feel like some kind of responsibility as well to kind of make sure he is okay and make sure he is happy um and sort of as happy and comforted where he can be do you feel like um and I obviously this might not be the case at all but that as the kind of woman in the family a lot of the kind of emotional weight falls on your shoulders yeah I think I mean my dad's very emotional um and very outward with it um but yeah I do feel like maybe a lot of the sort of care not it's not caring but a lot of like I feel like I should be doing all of that if that makes sense I should be checking in I should be making sure that everything's okay and um you know calling all the time and yeah not that I'm saying my dad absolutely needs that or anything but maybe it's more my own pressure on myself to be like yes this is your role it totally makes sense Beth and I think with the people that you care about and you're sensitive to their pain you just want to be able to do something and I think often we talk um on this here podcast about kind of the socialization of gender roles um but also I think it's hard not to just feel like you want to make as much better as you can Mm. and that's so difficult because grief is kind of endless and it is a pain that's always going to be there but it's just however you can kind of turn the volume down on it from day to day however it's really lovely to hear that your dad's outward with it as well and do you find kind of companionship in that yeah yeah definitely like we definitely um open up the sort of very very few times I've kind of been really sad just because we're sharing stories and um sharing grief and my dad started going through loads of photos lately which has been really beautiful he's just emailing me photos the whole time it's really nice um but also I'm just oh my god something so embarrassing dad um um, yeah no that it is really nice and it is there is a lot of companionship and it is it's nice I think to know someone is feeling that same maybe not the same but similar as to where you are at that point as well because obviously it happened at the same time yeah, I think that solidarity is absolutely not to be um, 
ignored ever and I think it's so wonderful when you can kind of almost be bonded by something so terrible because mm. a lot of like I said like for a lot of family you know families break up over deaths you know they they often you know you hear oh I haven't spoken to my brother since my mum died that kind of thing so I think that that's that's really wonderful I'd love to hear a couple more stories about her maybe some things that you found out um since she died from your dad I could I could tell you the story of how they met which is absolutely really beautiful um it had its pros and cons and maybe the timing wasn't necessarily the best but my dad was on a plane to Munich um, and um, he hadn't been having a very good relationship with my mum I think they were kind of ending you know it was not going on it's kind of it was over basically um, and he was having a really terrible time um, not, my mum was as well so not discounting her side of the story um, but um, she, they sat on a plane next to each other and she, uh, my stepmom was trying to read this play that she'd seen in English called An Ideal Husband. Um, and <laughs> they, it's really cheesy and they, they kind of just were looking at each other and um, that's how they met um, and then decided they would stay in contact. It was the 90s, so it was a lot more difficult now than now. Um, trying to access email and you know find each other and get in contact again but they managed and um there was obviously like nothing happened for a while and then um after that uh yeah Earth moved to England and uh, that was it really so like 20 years later and actually one thing I did see which since um was uh, a photo of them which I'd never seen was the day they got married in Brighton and they got married just really for immigration purposes um and they um that's okay to say on the podcast yeah I think it's 20 years ago um <laughs> yeah she uh, they got they got married on uh February the 13th because it and the only reason they could was because it was a Friday the 13th and the day before Valentine's Day um so that was why there was no there was loads of open spots to get married at Brighton Town Hall <laughs> that's so lovely gosh that's like something out of a Nora Ephron film <laughs> I'm obsessed. I love that I love that they're like absolutely perfect meet cute shot for <laughs> the superstition so that anyone else honestly if you can't get married on like the 13th of February or the 14th of February I think you should have a look at yourselves that's my judgment out of the way now Beth I'm aware that this is given that your grief is very close to the surface today might be a particularly difficult question for you so take your time please um but I'd be interested to know what you feel helps your grief and then what doesn't and I know you picked on up a little earlier about um not necessarily talking to other people about your grief because it can feel like a burden but I also feel that like at times when I'm really griefy, I can only talk to other people who are bereaved mm. because then I don't feel like I'm spilling my guts and my guts are then just exposed. Mm. Um, so again, just reiterating what Anna said beautifully at the top, this is a safe space and we're here for you. But what helps, what doesn't in your own individual way? Yeah, thank you. I think what you just said there absolutely I can't like talking to people who aren't bereaved I just don't want to and um I think it's like literally what you said there you just like you're opening your guts out and I think for me it's like you can't explain the magnitude of 
what it feels like and um then I feel like I have to constantly do this thing of explaining how what an amazing person she is and how much I miss her and I don't that's not what I want to be talking about I want to be talking about how like painful it is or um like the feet or not if it's just painful it's just like the weird grief feelings you get like I, I don't feel like I grieve in a you know the stages of grief whatever I feel like I'm either like everything nothing or like two of like whatever they say and I'm just like all over the place and um what you yeah so I think whereas maybe like I'm sure if you talk to like a counselor or psychologist maybe <laughs> clamming up for a year and a half and like doing everything you can like I just took on I started like a master's degree and then I took on like three days a week of work and two volunteering roles just so I probably so I didn't have to think about it um, and I'm sure if you talk to someone they'd be like that's a really bad way of dealing with it but actually I think it's just how I deal with it and how I have dealt with it and I'm not I'm not going to stop that I'm not going to try and change it or force something that because if I do sit down like you know obviously at night sometimes it's the worst when I'm just like really sad and um, there's been times where it, I have actually just had like really undignified moments like this time on a zoom work call for this and there's like team building thing and this tra this trainer was like so what's the worst thing that's happened to you in a pandemic I was like what where's the trigger warning for that and I was just like I've just absolutely lost it I was just like weeping and you know with zoom you can turn your camera off you can like but I was trying not I sort of like turn my camera off and turn my microphone off but obviously I was just like and now it's coming and he's like obviously you don't have to say anything I'm like well no you've done that you've already gone past this so I then I just like turned my camera on and turned my mic on was like weeping and you know when you're like the kind of crying when you're like <gasps> and I like just said what I said I said like yeah my mum died like four months ago and then just turned my camera off and I was like because he also started with something really personal as well so it wasn't like he was trying to be light-hearted like he was going for like the deep meaningful confessions but yeah so if you're listening to zoom trainer don't do that <laughs> trigger warn people for the benefit of the listener Emily and I are actually just like mouth open that is so just um, insensitive and just not really okay that's so deeply exploitative like <laughs> And I'm so sorry that you were put through that. But also, like, I'm very sus about anyone who asks that and obviously knows in the middle of a pandemic as well. Oh, my God. I know. Like, it's, it's never asked that, but didn't have some sense not to ask it in a pandemic. Trauma is not an icebreaker, lads. Yeah, <laughs> so true. But I always feel really shamed by that experience. Um and then I get annoyed that I feel shamed because I shouldn't be. But I also, it's just, I think I'm more annoyed that I didn't have control over it. That's not how I want to, like, I want to grieve in my own time. I don't want to grieve because someone's put, used it as an icebreaker. Do you find, Beth, that people kind of project how they want you to grieve onto you? Because I often find myself being like, yeah, no, I'm fine. You know, it is what it is. Because I just know that they'll go off and be like, I saw Anna, she was fine. And they'll just shut the fuck up and leave me alone. Whereas actually, if they were like, how are you? And I was like, well, I have been getting nightmares for seven years now. Um, and uh, my intrusive thoughts are through the roof. But actually, you know, I've got a job and a boyfriend. So maybe I'm okay. Do you know what I mean? People aren't ready to hear I don't think a lot of the time. Mm. We are also uh, very much um, side eyes at the 
five stages of grief uh, here. And when you said there, Beth, about like, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's all of them, sometimes it's none of them. Following up from what you were saying, Anna, grief isn't neat. Like by its very nature, it's incredibly messy because you've been torn apart. And I think um, it's wild how grief is just such a wide channel that can contain so much. And there isn't one right way to grieve at all. And I think it's amazing that you've taken on so much incredible stuff. And I think the energy that I had and the adrenaline, like just after Trudes died, was wild. And that's the time when you really need to put it into something because I think that does give you the structure to cling to. At times when you're missing them, it's not actually putting pressure on yourself. It's relieving the pressure that you're feeling inside yourself. I completely agree. The least helpful thing someone like people said at the time is like, are you sure you can take this on? Are you sure you should be doing that? Are you sure? And you're like, sorry, would you rather I just sit here in my like ball gown weeping into a into a martini or whatever and some kind of like what would you want my grieving to look like more what would be more palatable for you I think the word should with grief is so toxic because not one conversation we've had here has been the same grief looks different to everybody it's different shapes it changes every day and that's why we always ask the question how is your grief today because yesterday my my grief was, oh, you know, two days ago, I found a bunch of my mum's old CDs with her handwriting on. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel this is so deeply sad. And then 20 minutes later playing the CD, this is so deeply, joyfully sad. And then today I had forgotten that I've done that. Do you know what I mean? There is just no sensical, palatable way to put it. I really, I, I want to report that Zoom trainer. That's, I... To whom it may concern because I think as well um copyright said but that's a grief thief move and I think uh not to go on a wild tangent about narcissists but I discovered there is a type of narcissist called a communal narcissist basically look at every single influencer right, who say that it's all about well-being, but it somehow comes back to them. And I think it's exactly that kind of thing where I also feel, even as someone who is essentially an emotional exhibitionist, really protective of my grief, more so than anything else, because I think there's an intimacy to it that unless you've been through it, I love what you said there, Beth, in terms of like, yeah, it's actually really difficult to describe the magnitude of loss because other people just don't don't get it because it's your relationship that you're grieving and that person so the solidarity and the companionship that you and your dad have obviously has the starting point of us but you're both mourning very different relationships to her and and that's it I think because and and, and that's the thing about grief that gets me every time is like how universal and yet how specific it is all at once and it's something that I really like being able to help other people with because I do feel that it is just incredibly reciprocal but at the same time it's mine it's it's yeah it's 
Yes. But we, um, I read a book quite soon after Dr. Sue died um, called The Longer Bye by uh, Megan O'Rourke, which I loved and would recommend. But maybe if you're feeling kind of strong enough, it's not an easy read. And she says in that we had the same injury and different symptoms. And I think that so much of the kind of, so much of it is that, right? So the thing that is bringing the three of us together this evening is that the same thing has happened to all of us. Yet our experiences are always going to be different because your relationship's different. The time is different. Your personality is different. I just think that that, that society so often wants to put us in little little boxes, you know, what bad thing happened to you boxes, but that's not appropriate. And it just seems really, um, actually really limiting to, and really um, almost disrespectful to the person that had died, I think. Um, so Beth, what you said earlier that speaking to people who are bereaved is good for you. Is there anything else that, um, that has been kind of helpful or actually do you feel like you're kind of still on the path to working out what the fuck that looks like? Yeah, I think, I think I'm definitely still on the path. Um, I have to say like one thing that someone just said to me once was like the, sm- the probably the shortest thing ever, anyone's ever said, but it's just the most helpful. Someone just looked at me and was like, looked me in the eyes and you could tell they're generally like, I'm really sorry, that's just really shit. And I was like, yeah, um, it is. And they were, they were kind of like, it wasn't like one of those kind of offhand, like, oh yeah, that's really shit. It was like a genuine, like, I'm not gonna kind of give you any kind of, um platitude like you know the stuff that people say like she'll always be with you which some people can say to me some people can't because I'm like no she fucking isn't um but you know like things like that or where people are oh you know she she would love how you are now and like yeah like my close family can say that to me and like people that I kind of trust can say that to me when it comes as like a kind of thing that people have learned to say it sounds really bad but I'm just like that's really disingenuous and you don't you don't know me or her so um and that, that I think I think what you're talking about at the beginning Emily about kind of infantilizing that's where I come my infantilization comes out and I'm like shut up you don't know like don't say that kind of thing I'm like you don't deserve to say that um even though someone else could say the exact same thing I'd be like oh thank you um yeah it's totally dependent on who says it how they say it and yeah when um so yeah I'd say maybe it just if someone if you I don't know if you know someone that's been bereaved just if if you don't know what to say probably don't say anything it's probably for me or not not say anything but don't just say what you've seen online or seen on a card or you think you should say like say something that you mean like maybe it has to be like I'm here if you want to talk it doesn't have to be like yeah I don't know no I think you're so right Beth and I think um uh when we're dealing with how overwhelming the reality of grief is you just need someone to be real with you because anything else that's pretense is just gonna fucking slide right off of you I totally agree with you I think we don't actually need any superheroes who come in and say the most perfect thing we actually just need something really real I also really appreciate people saying uh one of my best friends said to me a few months ago god that is just so heartbreakingly sad was like yeah thank you for understanding that it is and immediately it was like you know we're very close anyway but felt an even better connection with her and she's not someone who's had you know in terms of her bereavement her very beloved grandmother passed away a while ago but because she and I grew up together and she knew my mum that that really helped and I think also 
like it's really talking to someone who's bereaved and you don't know what to say for fuck's sake don't make it about you because I think that's it I think the kind of move to try and say like the most perfect thing is only going to you're trying to be exploitative and get your self-perception out of this person so really even I appreciate the honesty of like I don't know what I don't know what to say um but then I think uh our general position on uh here on the uh mother of all losses is also to say I'm really sorry to hear that what were they like because death ends a life it shouldn't end a conversation (laughs) yeah exactly absolutely and even even practical things I think are really helpful like send someone a voucher for delivery or if you're close enough make a I always go to lasagna but you know what I mean make a lasagna drop it on the door text them say it's there you know that you don't have to talk to them like do things that are nurturing in ways um you know that you can do at the time I think um you know grief is often trauma and I think you know when you're when you're put through that level of trauma you're not necessarily thinking about things like eating someone bought me a pillow spray when my mum died things like that that's really nice that helps you sleep because you're acknowledging excuse me that that person might be having trouble sleeping I just think there are so many ways to show compassion that aren't using Clinton card platitudes um oh that's so that's so I'm so it's so lovely to kind of hear you talk so like rawly and honestly Beth it's really tapped into so much about how I feel I don't know if that's the same for you Em oh absolutely because I this is the um the new kind of stages of grief, not the ones that we don't agree with, but I mean, the ones that I'm finding is that now it's three years, which is really no time at all, but for you, it's really no time at all. And I can talk from this position of three years now and remember exactly where you were. And again, same, same, but different all the time. So even if it's not necessarily time, like, at two months you feel like this at four months you feel like this you know it's not a pregnancy fuck's sake but in terms of more time passing so that I've had more experiences within that time it doesn't necessarily mean we've had the same ones but that you that you have been so honest with us tapping into remembering like how raw that is and that it's not linear and it comes all the way around and Ursula just sounds like an absolute babe. Like, I love the idea of sitting next to the man who becomes your husband as you're reading an ideal husband and then just falling in love with his kids as well and being there for them and smiling at them in the hospital because I can imagine she forgot however much pain she was in just being able to see you. And how lucky was she to have you guys, you know, as stepkids because that's not always an easy relationship and you know, what a joy and what a loss. Um, so Beth, I'm going to ask you a slightly leading question because this is the point where we say, what haven't we asked you that you'd like to talk about? So although I am asking you that question, I wonder if before you answer that, you could just, um, Ursula died during the pandemic, um, not not from COVID or COVID related um, injuries, I was about to say, but you know what I mean? But I just wanted to ask you if you feel that kind of your grief has been impacted by this kind of strange time that we're living in? 
Yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely think it has. I think it's a bit like, you know, I think how everyone feels like your life has been a bit on hold and also just how weird two years feels. Or it's been 18 months since you died, but how the last year, two years in the pandemic have been. Um, like, so it impacted it first that I was meant to go see her um, before she got ill um, in March um, and I couldn't because of the pandemic. Um, it impacted that we could only, my brother and I um, could only go see her um like literally the last two days so the day before she died and when she died um and it was all incredibly stressful because of a covid test that nearly didn't come on time and you know just like this horrific situation that we're just trying to like i mean we're don't get me wrong we're incredibly lucky to be able to be with her there was you know thousands of people that didn't get that kind of privilege um so i'm, I'm really grateful for that um but in terms of like emotionally um I feel a bit, you know, I feel like 18 months, it almost feels too long for me. It feels too long that she's been away. And I feel like I haven't, you know, it, maybe because of the pandemic, maybe also the fact that she was not, she was in Germany for the last few years. So I was already a bit removed from like seeing her face to face every day. You know, I'd call and text her, but it's sort of, I feel like maybe my grief that's why I'm able to put it on hold so much if that makes sense so it feels like while our lives are on hold a little bit and while you know I'm not sort of used to having her in the country I've been able to quite easily separate my emotions um in a very odd way um if that yeah don't know if that makes any sense oh it makes total sense like I think just the suspension of life as we knew it and then to lose Ursula is so so meaningful to you like I think it's the mix of how real it is but also how you just can't believe it it sounds like it's just compounded absolutely and I think that there's something you can almost trick yourself into thinking that someone will still be there because it's a normal amount of time that you might not have seen someone and that's really messes with your head. I, you know, I remember that as well, because um, my mum died, I'd been, at uni, you know, I'd been at university, so I easily wouldn't have seen her for a few months, obviously more when she was ill, but, you know, I could so easily just have thought I was going home and her going to be there, and some, and it's still, I would still go back to my parents' house after she died and think she'd be there waiting for me in the window, and it's heart, it is just heartbreaking. Mm. Yeah, I, went, I just went to Germany um, just before Christmas and it was the first time I saw my grandparents and my uncle and my stepbrother um, and also the first time I went back in her flat and um, it yeah, it was just like the most hot, like I knew it the week before I was going, I was like, this is going to be horrible. Me and my dad were like, I just don't want to do this, it's going to be terrible, you know, but at the same time you kind of, find, kind of feel a bit guilty that you're dreading it so much. Um, and so then it's, you know, you step back in there and everything's the same and you're just like, oh, this is so painful. I'm like stepping straight back into 18 months ago when we came home from the hospital. Like, you know, no difference at all. Gosh, that must have been really, I can't imagine how strange and weird and confusing that must have been. Yeah, yeah, like a weird, it's almost like a time warp. I think I, I, think I might have traveled back in time. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there anything, Beth, that we haven't asked you that you would like to say? Um, no, but maybe I just like just to say again that I think there's so much she gave me um, 
and there's so much she gave me as a person and political views and questioning things and like apt, like feminism like she always kind of like I don't know she was the first person to give me this like Simone de Beauvoir book and like when I was like 17 or something or like even like younger um she yeah so she's and right from the beginning like if we'd ever had to have things like tantrums she'd be teasing us out of it not getting angry just like making jokes about them until we stopped being shit you know <laughs> um and she'd give us the responsibility of like you know you can go to bed at whatever time you want but you have to get up in the morning so it's your choice and eventually obviously by like I don't know by 10 by 10 you learn that like maybe you will be tired if you go to bed at 11 o'clock so I might as well just go to bed now um so and just the last thing that she really taught me she always had people around her flat um so you know I'd come home from school there'd be some random person there but she'd just be so hospitable and they'd be in the kitchen she'd be cooking for them or you know just being like used flat as you were and I think um it's one thing that I've really enjoyed that I do now as well and like I have sort of people around and people can drop in and it's something I really like and I was thinking about it the other day and I think it's a quality of hers that is probably one of my favorites so that's so beautiful yeah that is so beautiful thank you so much for sharing Ursula with us this evening Beth what a woman so you have lost thank you for having me on it's, it's been really nice thank you for listening to the mother of all losses podcast this episode was produced by Chris Thorburn Music by Kane Aris, who can be found at Atom Collection 2 on SoundCloud, with huge thanks to Hannah Trevathan. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on themotheroflosses at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and your grief.